Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Oh, wow. Good morning, everyone. My name's Brittany, if I haven't met you yet, and privileged to be together. I don't know about you, but I really sense God's presence in the room this morning. And just what a gift it is as a final gathering together in person. I'm really, it's really beautiful to be here. Um, as you know, we're in Advent. We've been journeying through that story. We've spent time with Mary. We were with the shepherds and the Magi last week. And so I'm going to continue on that narrative. And we're going to look at Simeon and Anna in the temple. So I'm going to jump straight into the text. Let's read together from Luke 2, 22 to 40. When the time came... For the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Isn't it funny? We've journeyed so far um, with Jesus, and we haven't actually made it into Jerusalem. This is the first time. We've been out in the fields. We've been in Bethlehem. But finally, we arrive at the temple, this holy site. And there's something significant of sitting with this passage and seeing Jesus come into the temple This temple is so key to Israel's faith. This temple is a place where God's presence and his people come together, just as it was at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. He made things so that we could see him and hear him and tangibly touch parts of who God is in creation. And he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He placed them there and he wanted to be with his people. His presence in humanity is overlapping As we know, if you've read that before, if you haven't, 
Adam and Eve choose to rule in their own way. They're given authority, but they choose to do their own thing, and therefore they're exiled from the garden. And it's broken, that relationship with God, walking with him. But God's heart is the same. He wants to be with his people, so he builds a bridge to connect with them again. He picks a nation from all nations to represent him. And he starts with a man called Abraham. Then from Abraham comes Moses. I'm jumping a few gaps here, let's be honest. Then Moses, you have David and Solomon. This is the Old Testament being retold. This nation grows. With Moses, they're sent into exile, into Exodus, sorry, into the desert, and they build the tabernacle for God's presence to dwell again with the people. But when we reach Solomon, it's the first time that Israel can gather as a nation in their promised land in Jerusalem, and Solomon builds this beautiful temple And this temple is adorned with things that represent creation. The walls have pictures of a garden because it's meant to be that God wants to dwell with these people. And so this temple is created so that can happen again. And it's good and God dwells there. Unfortunately, as we know as well, there are many kings that come after Solomon that don't honor and keep the temple holy. The people walk away from God. Eventually, Babylon comes in 586 BC, and captures the city. Not only do they capture the city, they destroy the temple. They take the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy element in the temple, and they take it and destroy it, and they remove the people. The people go into exile, into Babylon, and God's presence is gone. And the people cry out. No longer are they not in their promised land. The temple is no longer standing. They don't know where God's presence is and they long to come home. And the prophets, the prophets speak of this. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, of judgment from where Israel is at as a nation, but also hope. They say, no, a time is coming where the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem and God's presence will fill all of creation. Hope for that, believe in that. Half a century later, they do return. Persia has taken over Babylon, and they say, the Persian king says says to the Israelites, you may return home and rebuild your temple. And so they do. They return, and we read about this in Nehemiah and Ezra. As the temple is rebuilt, that space where God can dwell again, what they've craved for so long to be with him, his presence returning to this holy city, the promise of all creation knowing God. And they do rebuild it. But again, Those who serve in the temple, the teachers of the law and the priests, choose to rule in their own way, as Adam and Eve did. God's presence is no longer there. They're in exile again. And they're waiting. This temple is corrupt. That's what the prophets say. It has become corrupt. And this is the temple we stand in with Anna and Simeon. Herod is in rule at this time as we sit with this nativity story. And he is a Jew, but he also likes to make friends with the Romans. He's built, he's expanded this temple. So it still stands, but where is God's presence? A people still cry out. And so as we stand in this temple, as we enter the gates with Mary and Joseph, we realize that God once again comes towards us, builds another bridge And Mary and Joseph are holding that in their hands as they walk through that gate. 
God's poured out his inmost identity and placed it in a child. As they enter the gate, they stand in the enormous court. Herod has built the courts around the temple to fit all the people that come to celebrate at festivals. There needs to be 100,000 people in this space. You can imagine it's quite big. There's a sense of awe as you walk through the gates because the walls are almost 30 metres high. One of the walls is 277 metres long. This is a big space. And what would it have sounded like? There are people moving around in there, scribes carrying their scrolls, hurrying off to teach, the sound of their robes swishing behind them, the sound of coins of people purchasing their sacrifices, maybe some goats and sheep, birds. There are people murmuring and praying, but also greeting one another and the smell of that rich, deep incense burning, God's presence, the scent of prayers, that idea that it grows up before God. And so we stand in this temple. Many would be walking through those gates that day to offer sacrifices, to worship, or as Mary and Joseph have done, to come and consecrate Jesus. And Simeon, as we heard in verse 25, is moved by the Spirit, and he is also in the temple that day. He spots Jesus. How? How many kids would have been brought that day, but he sees him? This tiny child, only seven weeks old, because that's the time when you bring the child to be consecrated. Mary's holding him closely to her, and Simeon sees him and comes up and says, can I hold him? And finally, he holds this tiny child, this promise, in his hands. When was the last time you held a child that small? Seven weeks. And as Simeon holds this young little boy, he looks into his eyes. These eyes that will show so much compassion. These eyes that will see people that have never been seen. These eyes that will cry for the nation of Israel and for us. He holds him. And as Jesus looks up at him, Simeon allows him to wrap his hand around his finger, as little babies do. These hands, again, does he know? These hands that will bring healing at one touch. These hands that will hold and embrace children and welcome them. These hands that will be pierced for the transgressions of Simeon, his people, and us. As he continues to hold Jesus, he wipes his brow dusty from the journey. Again, this brow that will be pierced with thorns only 33 years later in this very place in the temple courts. And finally, as he holds this child closely, his hand against his heart, he can feel it beating. This precious child, this precious heart, and the blood that flows through his veins is the blood that will save his people. All people. The very presence of God is no longer deep in the tabernacle. It is in Simeon's hands. God has come in a new way. And what else can Simeon do but praise, be excited, exalt God in that moment and hold Jesus 
But how did he recognize him? So many people coming through those gates, so much noise, action, movement. He recognized him because he was waiting for him. It says in verse 25 that he was a righteous and devout man. He had spent hours praying and seeking God, waiting for God, waiting for the promises of God. And so when God's presence emerges in the temple, he can recognize it. Yes, led by the Holy Spirit, as we are told. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, it says. What is that? Well, if you look at Isaiah 41 to 2, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard server has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Simeon has been waiting in this promise. And do you know what? The nation of Israel are waiting. They're not in a good way. Rome is ruling. As I've said before, the temple is corrupt. The leaders that are meant to represent God and teach of who he is have fallen and have done things in their own way. He is crying out. Simeon sits in his promise and says, God, come. Please come again as you've done before. It would have been a remnant, a small group of Israelites left who desired this. Simeon and Anna were the faithful who remained, who waited. And you and I, we are called to be the faithful just like them and wait in God's promises because we know just as much as Simeon did now that we need God's presence. It doesn't take long to just look up and see what's going on around the world that we need God's presence and love in healing and restoration. An earthquake in Haiti, 2,000 people killed. The Taliban in Afghanistan, brutal ruling, children being sold. And that's not even talking about COVID. COVID, where we have reached over 5 million people who have passed away because of this virus. And they're the ones recorded, who knows, in places like India or other rural places or cities where people have passed and it's not recorded. The effects of COVID, not just in death, that is significant, but also in mental health, economically, we need God. In our lives, we've seen this in the people around us. We've seen this in the church. That people have gone. Do you know what? Some of those people you may know. Some of those people may be your friends or family. And today we sit and we say, God, we need you. Please come again. Your faithful people come together and we cry out for your presence, for your children to come back home to you for your restoration and order so that we may dwell with you again and there will be no more tears and crying, but your presence with us. We need God. And we wait in the promises that he's given us, just as Simeon did. We don't have Gabriel turning up. Well, no one said to me that you have. If you have, that would be great in your dreams. We don't have that, but we do have the promises of Jesus in the Bible, in his words, he said to us, he's going to work all things together for our good. He said he will never leave us or forsake us. He said that we shall be more than conquerors through his love. These are the things of God, of Jesus, of this promise. And we wait confidently because anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, as it says in Romans. We can be confident in this. God is saying, test me and see that I am faithful. 
What at this time in Advent is God asking you? Is Jesus beckoning you to believe and trust in the promise of who he is? What is he asking you to hold on to as we wait just as Simeon held Jesus? As we wait in these promises, it looks different for each of us. Anna waited as well. What do we know about Anna? One, she's a widow. Two, a bit rough on Luke's account, she was old. Come on, Luke. Surely there's some other things going on for Anna rather than just she was old. But that's what we're told. But what else? If you think about the, the concept of being a widow in that time, she would have been heavily dependent on others. She'd only been married for seven years. 84 years she spent as a widow. Where does her next meal come from? How can she provide for herself? Where is she going to live? Who will take care of her? Economically, she's, it's not looking good. You would think she would probably be impoverished, angry, uh, sorry, anxious and desperate, but that's not the Anna we read about. There's a deep yearning and a desire and a need that she has, yes. But what does it say in verse 37? What does she actually do with that deep yearning and need? It says she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. The woman's court is one of the furthest courts from the holy of holies. Women were not allowed to come close. And yet Anna chooses to dwell here. This woman that has nothing, that is dependent on others. She wants to come close to God. She spends her life doing that. And in this amazing sense, she fulfills God's word. Her offering of worship and praise is far more holy than possibly it was taking place in the temple at that time. She can't walk into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices and give incense for burning. But what does God say in his word? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus reminds us of that in Matthew. Anna was well acquainted with mercy. She needed mercy to survive. She needed the mercy of God as well. And in Hebrew, the word mercy is hesed. And the words that we use to translate that is goodness, kindness, and faithfulness. This was what Mary, um, Anna needed. And Anna offered that back to God. And what a beautiful gift and offering that was. She surrendered her life to God. 84 years she spends praying and offering this, surrendering over and over again. And what's the prize of surrender? Revelation. As Anna waits, praying, seeking God, she gets to see something of the kingdom that others have been waiting for for a long time. Because the faithful see the next thing God will do. As we wait in the promises, as we seek him, we get to see the next thing God will do. She sees Jesus. This is him, God coming again in a new way. She's given eyes to see. Friends, we need to be aware of our spiritual need, just as Anna was, to be humble enough to go, oh God, I need you. And you know what? Maybe at different points this year, 
you've come to that place. We have been stretched, challenged, in ways we probably wouldn't have expected. And as Simeon cried out and waited for that comfort, comfort Israel, we wait for that. God, please come. Anna made a choice not to just see her need, but to also bring it before God. And we have the same opportunity because this God is the same one that created the heavens and the earth in Genesis and came to his people throughout the Old Testament. He wants to be with us and it's the same promise that we have now. And he also wants to invite us to see what he's going to do next as his faithful people. Kent Hughes, who is a biblical scholar, said this of Simeon and Anna. He said, lives like this are rare. Such longing is not not in vogue today. The ideal modern day man sees himself as fulfilling Hemingway's line. You're the completest man I've ever known. He needs nothing, no one, not even God. Or so he thinks. We need to ask God to show us our insufficiency. What grace would come to us if we dared to pray for a greater sense of our spiritual need? What grace would come to us if we dared to pray for a greater sense of our spiritual need? This is what Anna did, coming before God day after day in the temple. God, I need you. I need you in every part of my life. We are designed to be dependent on him. That is actually our makeup. What does it look like for us to come before God, to recognize and to see what grace would come if we would dare to ask, to show our, ask him to show us our need? I also really like looking at Anna's response. As soon as she has met Jesus, she's excited. She praises God, it says in verse 38, just as Simeon did. But then what does she do? She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She spoke to the people looking for him as well. She gave them eyes to see. And as we sit in Advent, as we've spent this time, as you have encountered Jesus maybe for the first time or once again, or you're seeking him now, you are then sent with that same message to tell others who are looking because there are people in our lives who are looking. Do they know that they're looking for Jesus? Maybe. Maybe they don't. But what is this gift that you have seen this Advent that you can then tell others, that God invites us to tell others? Let's be like Anna and not just praise and offer that sacrifice of worship and prayer, but also let's be people that speak of the advent of Jesus and say, he has come. You are seeking him. You are seeking him in other things, in money, in prestige, in opportunity. Actually, what you're seeking is Jesus. That fear that you have. I know someone who is the prince of peace. Come, let me introduce him to you. I've had to sit in that peace this year because I've gone, I didn't know where else to go. What does it look like for us to be just like Anna did and speak of Jesus coming? Bernard of Clairvaux founded the Sistine Order of Monks, and he said that Christ comes to us in three different ways. In Bethlehem at Christmas. Secondly, at the end of time when he returns. And thirdly, in the lives of believers every day. 
in the lives of you and I every day. How is that possible? It's because the faithful lives lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus entering the temple is a significant moment. His presence, God's presence, is coming to rule and reign in a new way. Jesus is the true temple. He's the new priest. He's going to bring change. And post-resurrection, we hear him. He tells us, I will send someone who will be with you. God's presence is going to come and dwell within you and within me, among his followers, so that we, we could become mini temples, that place where Jesus dwells. And as we gather together in this room now, we represent his presence, that temple, that holy space, the Holy Spirit, the gift of that. And we are called to be faithful, to live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit, as Simeon did, brought into the temple by the Holy Spirit, as Anna did, proclaiming and professing who God is. Our theme this year has been, come all ye faithful. You are the faithful. I am the faithful. We have come, although we may be small, God does things like this in his church, in his world, and he's going to do it again. Where he comes to his people and he expands his kingdom because he loves to be with those he's created. The child once born in Bethlehem is still among us now. He's here now because of Holy Spirit. His presence is here. One of his names is Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Please stand with me. As we acknowledge Jesus' presence, as we stand as God's temple, again, holding his presence within us, I'd love to finish by praying together a collective prayer of asking Holy Spirit to fill us again and to be sent out. So please join me in this prayer to end. And obviously pray it out loud if you feel comfortable. Great. (laughs) All right. Almighty God, who came to us long ago in the birth of Jesus Christ, be born in us anew today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we offer our lives as home to you and ask for your grace and strength to live as your faithful, joyful children always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.